0: Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions.
1: Starting to learn more about value
2: stocks rather than gross stocks. You guys are saving me a lot of money.
0: And provides unbiased answers.
2: All right. Well, you're looking at historical blue chip names, and they've endured. Their brands have endured.
0: Invest Talk, over 42 million downloads and counting. Across America and around the world, your participation makes it
3: unique. Eight 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 ninety nine 99 chart At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures,
2: Financial advisor Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our July sixth, twenty twenty two edition. Appreciate you all tuning in. I hope everyone had a wonderful holiday weekend. Personally I spent it at the beach, in the sunshine, with some friends, family, so it was good. Nice little uh nice little extended weekend and great way to celebrate our independence, and we are moving into the dog days of summer, the heat, and a lot of distractions, probably a lot of activities with friends and family as well, post-4th of July weekend, and that means there's going to be a lot of things that take your mind off the market. But as you can tell, this is not a time for that. Now's a time to sharpen your focus, sharpen your skills, and that's what I'm here to help you do. I'm Justin Klein. And I look forward to this hour with you answering your finance and investment questions and giving you my straight, unbiased answers. No hidden agenda, just using 20-plus years of investment experience as well as a lot of data that's in front of me that can help inform a decision. So it takes both. It takes data, it takes perspective, it takes discipline. So hopefully I can help you with all of that today. Now one thing I can say for sure is that today's investing situation is different than we've seen in the past and that brings a, a different type of perspective that comes with seeing different cycles, studying history, and not being tied to the recent past. And the recent past I would say, is the last 10, 12 years post-financial crisis. It's a new era, and new strategies need to be deployed. So I invite your phone calls and questions now during our live stream program from 4 to 5 Pacific time every weekday, or if you're listening After Hours, which I know a lot of you are, no big deal. You can leave a message on our anytime listener line. It's 888 chart So let's get right to our first listener question now. Oh, actually, we're going to go to... Moriah in Oakland wants to talk about portfolio management.
1: Hello. Hi, Justin. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. I was literally just tuning into yesterday's podcast and was like, oh, it's four. I can call in. Um, So um, I am uh, relatively new in the first couple of years of investing and um, have done relatively well based just on listening to the podcast. Um, However, I'm wanting to take my game up to the next level and learn how to start, um, uh, like, evaluating companies on my own. Mm -hmm. And so a few questions, I guess, if you have time to answer, is um, solid places to look and what to look for in a company, because I hear about wanting to start looking at the the value instead of the growth of a company. And then also um, I'm trying to learn how a decent strategy of, like, when a company, a position goes up a certain amount, um, you know when to pull out some of those profits to lock that in. And then also um, on the reverse, if I invest in a company and it goes down a certain amount, um, you know, what's the best way to...
2: Okay. You cut off there, but hopefully I can get you, get all of those things answered. So the first thing is to think big picture of what the economic backdrop is, and understand what sectors tend to do well depending on the market environment. So if inflation is increasing and as well as the economy is growing, uh, those are good for um, sectors like industrials, uh, consumer cyclicals, etc. So understanding that backdrop of the economy uh, is important and know the sectors that tend to do well. The market's slowing. You typically have um, if if inflation is going down as well as growth is slowing down, consumer staples, utilities, those tend to do well. So kind of knowing that dynamic is 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 super important. Then when it comes to your out, then the same thing. It's 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 monitoring the economic backdrop, and then also having a technical out. So if it breaks below a certain support level, sell. Move on to the next next thing. So those are a couple multiple factors to consider to trim to, to sell a position outright. Uh if you do well, same type of thing. It's resistance. If it goes uh near or above your 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 value you have on on the particular company, then you trim, you eliminate, uh etc. Um so you, you want to do that more proactively uh typically. And then when it comes to value versus growth, like what, which which you talked about was You want to focus on the value versus the growth of a company. And that's not the way to think about it. And I know that's kind of a simple reactive way to think of value versus growth. Oh, let me focus on the value and not the growth. That's not the way this works. Because growth is part of value. A company that has negative growth is going to have sell at lower multiples. Or those are called their value traps and they look cheap and but their business keeps declining and uh, it eventually dies, right? That's a value trap. You want to avoid those. You want companies that are trading at reasonable valuations today but also have prospects for continued growth in the future. So that's very important. So when you're thinking about value versus growth, what you're thinking more of, Do I want the businesses that are producing cash flows, dividends, earnings today? Or do I want to bet on those companies that are going to produce big cash flows, profits, earnings out into the far future? That's really the way to think about value versus growth. Okay. So when you are in an inflationary environment, you're in an environment where interest rates are going up. What happens is that those growthier stocks where the market is priced, putting a value on far away cash flows, those cash flows in the future are discounted at a higher rate and they're further lower today. And that's why you've seen the carnage in the growth sector. And that's why that the value side of the market is tends to be more cyclical because if the economy is slowing today, in the in the immediate term, that impacts the actual cash flows and profits today. Okay. Now, once again, longer term over the, over the last fifteen years or so, growth has outperformed because interest rates have dropped, inflation's been very low. Now that's the opposite. Okay. So you really have to think about these dynamics and don't jump into it all at once take it slow, educate yourself first before taking that leap. Now it's an Invest Talk Wednesday. I'm Justin Klein. We're moving into a break, but I'm here on duty, ready to answer your finance and investment questions. So give me a call at eight 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 ninety nine 99 chart
0: Why do listener questions make Invest Talk better?
1: Which of these would you recommend?
0: Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice.
1: I was curious think aluminum has a ways to go from here.
2: When do I know the right time to take profits?
1: Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here?
0: And listeners instinctively realize that Invest Talk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction.
3: I think you have a terrific show and I've learned a whole lot. Hey guys, love your show.
2: Uh, I've been listening for several years now and I've
0: Invest Talk is here to help. And when you download the free Invest Talk podcasts, don't forget to rate and review. The phone lines are open 888 99 chart.
2: Let's go to Jacob in the Bay Area, he wants to talk about Skyworks SWKS. Hey, Justin, how you doing? Doing pretty well. Do you own this or looking to buy it?
1: Uh- So I just recently picked it up. I know tech is not in favor currently, but outside of this, the only other tech company I own is Apple. And I was just looking at its forward earning projections for 2023 of about $12.20. And that uh, makes the PE, the forward PE, about 7.5. So I'm just wondering if this is a value
2: trap or if this is something that might be one of the better tech stocks to own. Okay, it's a great question, and this has done, come down dramatically. It's the exact type of uh, it, it's it's in the semiconductor space, and they what they do is they produce uh, analog integrated circuits, amplifiers, attenuators, uh, diodes, decouplers, mixers, etc. A lot of this goes into mobile devices, and Yes. Their business, their, 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 earnings going forward are projected to be higher. So that's a, a positive, but it is, it has been uh, decelerating dramatically and earnings expectations are coming down. So I wouldn't rely just on those particular factors, but this has come down 52% from its 52 week high. And it's a very, very good business. So I have no problem with this at these levels. Now, I will say this major major support doesn't come in until about 80 it's at 95 now so it certainly could have more downside but this also could be near the near the lows as well I mean it's it's just cuz the support is at 80 doesn't mean it can't turn around and go higher from here so I like what you're looking at this is a, a strong company and a consistent cash flow producer earnings producer its enterprise value to even now is down to around 8 which it's five year range is between six and twenty. So once again, it's not all the way to that six level, but in that range, you know, it's it's definitely on the lower side. So I think there's some good value there. And return on assets, 17% return on equity, twenty-six, twenty-seven percent in that range. Price to sales ratio right now is right around three. And historically that is near the near the low. So I'm gonna give Skyworks a thumbs up. I would I would I think this is a good risk reward here once again still have to know there's some potential downside but I think good risk versus reward that was Skyworks Swks now my focus point today is based on this story six things you should know about the housing market now so we're going to look at some various aspects of the housing market and give you my sense of what to expect especially depending on what market you're looking at, because that's going to have an impact, a large impact as well. Now, the housing affordability crunch is here, and mortgage rates are on the rise, uh, and so we're going to dig into the details on that one. Then we're going to look at the the jobs market. Employers posted 11.3 million job openings in May, and that still means a relatively tight labor market, although there are signs of weakening. And we're going to get a new jobs. figure out Friday. So we're going to look at what to expect there. Then some sanctions, how the sanctions are impacting Russia's oil production. And we're going to look at one of their companies and one of their oil fields and why this could be a microcosm for long-term issues of supply coming out of Russia. And then lastly, make you feel a little bit better, uh, Tiger Global, the largest hedge fund in the world, heads first... First gain in the month of June. First gain since October. So they've been down every month since October. Finally got a little gain in June, but they're still down 50% on the year. And we're going to look at that data a little bit as well. So that's what's on my mind, but ultimately I want to know what is on your mind. So give me a call. 888-99-CHART is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Let's take a look at the market today. We had the S&P. That was up about 13 points. And it was another kind of turnaround day. Uh, down early, and we rallied not quite into the close, but we actually sold off a bit into the close, but uh, still up on the day. And it was the Fed meetings, uh, Fed, me- Fed meeting minutes day, Fed meeting minutes day that were released. And I always think these are overblown because this is data that comes from. Three weeks ago, that's when the last Fed meeting was, and you know how much does that matter in relation to the PMI number that came out today on the services side? PMI figure that came out uh, late last week that showed the economy is is slowing pretty dramatically. And even the inflation figures, the prices paid index is coming down as well. And so this is all indication that inflation's peaked, the economy has peaked. And the question is, when will the Fed realize it? Probably not until after this next Fed meeting, but it's something that, um, you know, the market is going to pay more attention to than this three-week-old discussion about uh, the economy. So uh, market rallied strongly. I still expect... Market hold up here, at least near term. We're heading into a break, so give me a call at 888 99 Chart.
0: Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes, and be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments.
2: All right. Well, let's uh, let's pivot now to six things you should know about the housing market now. Now, this is an article coming from the Nadia Evangelou from the National Association of Realtors. And, you know, we we always highlight articles uh, just to kind of as a a discussion point, but I always want to bring my perspective as well. Uh, I always take anything coming from the National Association of Realtors with a kind of a grain of salt, Um, but there's some good talking points here. So the first one is that mortgage rates have gone up she doesn't expect mortgage rates to continue to go up at the same pace. And I agree with her. I agree with her there. You know, we're kind of up to the 6% level uh, on average as of uh, June. And that's that creates a, an affordability uh, problem. And that's feeding through to inventory and sales. But that's going to take a little while to feed into prices. Now, I'm seeing prices drop. You know, price Price decreases in general are just coming down uh, or going up, I guess you could say. And that's going to continue for most markets. Uh, but there's going to be some markets that I think are more affected. Places like Phoenix, Arizona, I think uh, that's going to have some trouble. Places like Austin, Texas, uh, the Bay Area. A lot of the markets that are high-priced uh, have incomes and... Job markets that are heavily tech-focused, those are going to come under pressure. Obviously, Austin and and, uh, the Bay Area are two of those. Seattle, another one. Uh, So if you're in an expensive market, you have real estate in an expensive market, I think those are going to come under pressure near-term pretty quickly, and you're already seeing that. Uh, Other markets that I also think will come under pressure are those that are heavily investor focused and mainly institutional investor focused. And that's one place where I see from the the National Association of Realtors this 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 lady uh, I disagree with her. She sees that institutional investors are going to come in and price out first-time home buyers. And I actually think things have changed. What has changed? Cost of capital. Cost of capital is so important in the market. And when you have the ten-year rise so dramatically, that that creates different costs of capital, capital across the economy uh, at much higher rates. And think if you're an institution, and you're tip you, you've been investing in these rental properties at five, six, seven caps; these are cap rates, right? The, the yield that you're getting on those uh, those those homes. So you're going to bid those up. Because you care more about that yield, and the yields have been rock bottom for a long time, and those yields, four percent yield on a on a property, is pretty good. When you know you're getting two or three percent in the bond market, that's what the last five, six, seven years uh, have have been for a lot of these institutions. And I think this is where the supply is going to come on because a lot of those institutions are going to start to say, "Well, I'm getting a five percent yield on this." rental. My cost of capital now is maybe 6% or 7%. Or maybe I can just sell this property and take it and go buy a corporate bond at six and a half or 7%. Get a better yield, less headache. I don't have to deal with renters. I actually talked to a new client. He's going to come on board. He has a bunch of uh, properties in the Bay area. Going to sell them all because the cap rates here in California 3% 3% maybe you need double that double that in the corporate bond market. So when it comes to inventory, I think inventory is going to rise because of just pricing out of buyers. She, she says that uh, people earning $75,000 a year, about 25,000 of those are now priced out of the market. Okay. So, so, that's a lot of potential home buyers and is rising, but I think it's eventually going to rise more in those markets that are heavily investor focused. So that's kind of my overview of, of the housing market. It's always interesting to hear what the National Association of Realtors says, but I also don't necessarily agree with a lot of things that they do say. Another thing is arms. They think, oh, you should buy a five, use a five, one arm because you can get a lower rate. Well, that's going to incentivize people to buy more, right? They'll be able to afford more homes, higher likelihood they will actually buy that home, but it also exposes them to higher rates five years from now. So I don't actually agree with that uh, for a lot of people, unless they're going to sell within five years. So that was an interesting little uh, article. I do think once again, the housing market is sl- has slowed rapidly, It's gonna to continue to slow if rates stay up here. Uh, I think we're gonna be around the 6% level for some time until the Fed truly pivots, meaning cutting rates, which the market is expecting by the first quarter of next year. And that's when you might see a bit of a, a turn in the housing market, but I think we'll continue to weaken through the rest of the year. And in some markets, you'll see price declines. Now, the next Invest Talk, the story behind this question What's the impact of the strong dollar on your portfolio? But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888 99 Show. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive K-E-R-O-N-E.com, HackerOne.com.
0: The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced? Or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief risk Riskalyze quiz. The InvestTalk phone lines are open and waiting for your questions. 888-99-CHART.
2: Hi, Stephen
0: Justin. This
2: is Mike from North Carolina. I was wanting to ask you about
0: Sunoco, ticker symbol S-U-N. I was wondering what might be a good entry point and what you think about the company in general. So at any rate, Thank you for everything that you do, and I will
3: be listening on the podcast. Thank you so much.
0: Bye.
2: All right. Now, the first thing you have to understand about Sunoco is that this is not a company. It's actually a limited partnership. Okay? So that's my first, I wouldn't say strike against it, but it's at least something you should understand. It's a master limited partnership, which means... The income that you're going to get, the dividend, looks at 9.1%, that's going to be taxed at your ordinary income tax rate. It's not going to be a qualified dividend. Okay, so that's first off. So that also means so that so within a taxable account, that's what it's taxed at. So that 9.1% doesn't look quite as attractive. And then within tax-deferred accounts, a 401k, an IRA, a Roth IRA. If you get, I believe it's more than a 1,000, these IRS rules change. I think it's a $1,000 a year in income. You have to file a separate tax return, and you have to take that into consideration as well. So your tax on it, all that income from it is not deferred. You pay full taxes on it. There are issues with that. So that's any master limited partnership. Any limited partnership you're buying that's listed on the exchanges, that's the first thing you have to consider. Second, Sunoco. What do they do? They, they're a wholesale distributor of, of fuel, merchandise, food service uh, stores. They have 78 stores. So it's a small gas station chain, basically. And earnings are up pretty dramatically from $1.61 in 2020 to dollars 82 in 2019. Lost money, lost $0.25 cents in 2018. And earnings are expected to come down 1% this year and 15% next year. So I worry a bit about that, that uh, you're starting to see a reversion back to maybe pre-COVID levels, $2.82. And if that is the case, it's probably too expensive and the technicals remain relatively poor. So I would, you know, it is at support, uh, but it's kind of sitting at the support for a few weeks now. And when that happens, it typically wants to go to the next level, which should be closer to around $30. Now it's at $36.12. So I don't like the master limited partnership part. I don't like earnings. uh, the earnings estimates are are not only declining for this year and next year, but those estimates continue to be revised lower. So don't get caught into, oh, it looks cheap based on current earnings uh, and it looks like it has a good yield because there are some major caveats to that. So I'm going to pass on Sunoco and I would look for something else that uh, doesn't have declining earnings, and is paying you qualified dividends. Let's go to Noel in Napa. He wants to talk about oil.
0: Yes, uh, good afternoon, Justin. Yeah, I was listening to uh, somebody earlier today, and this is secondhand information. I didn't hear it actually said, but one institution talking had said oil, he looked for oil to go down to $65 a barrel, and then another institution uh, today supposedly said th- their view oil would be going up to possibly $300 a barrel. But I, I would imagine, Justin, is probably somewhere in
1: between, and I would value your comments on that uh, more than theirs. So uh, w- where are you coming down? What do you think?
2: <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And that is a very wide range there. Uh, pretty much, <laughs> yeah, it, it, It's you're throwing darts at that point. Uh, but the first thing you have to consider is, what is the time horizon? Could, they both could be right. You know, near term, could oil go down to 60? Sure, if the Fed continues to uh, have no consideration for the slowdown in the economy and wants to create other uh, other problems <laughs> that uh, they've dealt with in the past, and I don't think they really want to do that. Um, I think they... Certainly want to slow inflation and they want to remain uh, maintain credibility, but I don't think they're going to torpedo the global economy to a level that oil will get down that low. Certainly possible. I, I think kind of the low end for me is more around the $80 level. It's where I'm seeing major support as well as just a backdrop of supply. We're very undersupplied uh, when it comes to oil uh, across various countries for this time of year, etc. So... I think that's the low side. Now, could we get to 300 two, three, four years from now? Absolutely. If we continue to torpedo investment in new supply through ESG and government mandates and, and uh, corporations just simply pivoting uh, more towards uh, paying dividends and buying back stock and paying down debt, et cetera. And if those things continue to happen, which I don't see that changing. $300 oil in the not too distant future is certainly possible. I don't think it's happening this year, probably not happening next year either, um, but sometime this decade, absolutely possible um, depending on the supply response. We haven't gotten that supply response like we typically have with oil over $100 a barrel. Um, it's 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 starting to pick up, but not to the level that you expect where prices are now. So. Both of those could be right. Depends on your time horizon. Longer term, I'm still bullish on oil. You got a major pullback in a lot of the oil names. I kind of said that. I said you'll probably get a pullback sometimes this summer. Uh, I didn't think it would be, you know, kind of the first couple weeks of summer. Uh, but you, you certainly got a, a pullback now. XLE, the Select Spiders Energy. Uh, ETF, kind of the most widely followed, that has pulled back to major support. So I do think you you have some good support here. If you are underweight oil, this probably is a good time to add a little bit incrementally, uh, at least. Uh, but once again, Noel, both of them could be right. Thanks for the call. Now let's pivot over to the jobs market. And we do have the Jobs data coming out on Friday for the month of June from the Labor Department and economists surveyed by The Wall Street Journal are expecting 250,000 jobs produced last month and unemployment rate to stay steady at 3.6%. Now, I actually expect that to be a disappointment, even though that is a decline from last month's or last month May's report of 390,000 jobs created. Now, that was below the average pace of monthly job growth over the last year. So May was a deceleration. The expectation is another deceleration in the month of June. And I could see that disappointing uh, to the downside, uh, mainly because you're seeing companies like Tesla, Robinhood, a lot of the tech companies that have been a big driver to hiring. They're freezing hiring, uh, they're, they're instituting layoffs, etc. cetera. And you're already seeing... Uh, Things like unemployment claims, that tick up, Uh, let me pull that up, unemployment claims, there we go. Yeah, initial claims for unemployment, that has pretty much been on the rise all most of the year. Really started in the month of uh, March at about 166,000 was the bottom. And now we're at about 231,000 per week. And now that has been flat for about four weeks in a row, which is interesting. Uh, but you're you're definitely seeing the how the, the jobs market weaken just a bit. Quits are falling a, a little bit. The number of times workers quit their jobs fell slightly to 4.3 million from the prior month. The number of layoffs and discharges rose to 1.4 million in May from uh, the previous month of 1.2. So you're already starting uh, to to see this, and and clearly. The Fed wants the the labor market to have a little more slack. Three point six percent unemployment. I think that's too high for them. They see that as fueling inflation. And right now, they're focused on fighting that inflation. But as things break, if things break, and you're starting to see that kind of break in the market, or sorry, in the in the uh, in the economy, they're they're likely to pivot at some point by the end of the summer. Uh, and you're you're really seeing that in the economic readings. For example, consumer spending, and industrial output slowed in May. Uh, Decline in home construction, as you would expect. The purchasing managers' index, the PMI, uh, in June, uh, they po- both pointed to sl- a slowing U.S. economy. We talked about that shrinkage in some parts, especially the jobs market. And that's really what's going to drive, what's really driving my expectation. You're going to see a miss uh, on Friday. Is the fact that if you look at the, uh, if you look at the, uh, what do you call it? The, sorry, my, my, I got signed out here. Uh, where are we? There we go. They have the PMIs for today on the service side and you go to the employment, unemployment, the employment side. It was at 47.4, which is below 50. That's shrinkage. That's layoffs. And that's why I think you could see a negative number in the jobs number for June. So that's my take. Now, summer is here, and I'll bet that a lot of people are amazed at how the investment environment has changed so much over the past year or so, but it has. As investors, you've uh, you got to be prepared for the reality. The reality is uh, we're in a volatile market, and there are opportunities, but also a lot of risks as well. And that makes me recommend to you that if you aren't prepared for that, you don't feel like you know you're in the right place for this market. I encourage you to reach out to myself or CPS at our company, KPP Financial, based in Irvine, California, down here in Orange County, a little south of L.A., where we practice parallel investing, meaning we invest right alongside our clients, both uh, for, for our own portfolio. So same percentage of our overall portfolios go into our clients' portfolios as well. So you can take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to a meeting send us a message to investtalk.com or give our office a call at 800-557-5461 we'd love to help you in any way next up we'll tackle another listener question so hang on
3: Dick and Nels. Thank you for
0: all you do. Love your program. Been listening for a number of years and I've called in a few times. Just want to get your thoughts on semiconductors. Where you think we are as far as semiconductor stocks in the market and what the best way is to play those here going forward. Do you like the SMH in general to get a good collection of those stocks or do you have some favorite picks in the market? Thank you. Have a
1: great day. Goodbye.
2: Well, as you know, I can't recommend a particular uh, ETF or uh, individual company per SEC rules, but SMH is basically the, I believe it has the most assets of any of the semiconductor uh, ETFs. Let's see what's total assets. Where is it? 6 billion, 6 billion in total assets. And it holds most of the widely followed semiconductor companies. So Taiwan Semiconductor, eleven percent of the portfolio. Nvidia, eight point five. Texas Instruments, five point five. Qualcomm, five point five. Intel, five point three. Uh, what I would say here is it's a very mixed bag. There is a lot of oversupply in the market now, and I, I talked about this late last year. It's a very sick. It's very similar to oil. The semiconductor industry is very very similar to. Oil in its cycles is what I mean, because what happens is during boom times, they're trying to keep up with demand, the whole industry. And what they're doing is they're building out capacity. They're designing new chips and they're, they're trying to fulfill the demand. And this recent cycle, even more so, right? There's chip shortages and it was really a, a rush to try to fill all of the, the orders, But what happens after that, historically, is demand starts to cool, which we know it has, especially for physical goods. Physical good demand started to ebb late last year. Well, you still have the same capacity. You've put in millions, sometimes billions of dollars in CapEx spending to build out this capacity. You also probably have... Of certain types of chips, uh, too much supply, and what do you do? Do you just try to sell as much as you can? Growth starts to slow, margins start to compress, and you start to lose money. AMD was a classic example of that. Up until 2016, even 2017, they were a pretty poor company consistently vacillating between profit and and, and loss. And only recently, when they could get their technology kind of up to par with Intel, have they been able to make profits more consistently. But you're already seeing that level of growth slow down dramatically for a lot of these names. So, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about Skyworks, and I think that's one of the ones that probably is reasonable value here. It was never drastically overvalued. NVIDIA has down 56%. That's one of those ones I think was drastically overvalued and now coming back down to Earth and probably has uh, more of a ways to go. Um, so my main point here, the main takeaway is there are some pockets of opportunity in the semiconductor space. Broadly, I don't love it because profit the profit cycle continues to come down estimates continue to come down the valuations on most of these names continue to be above what they should what, what they long term should be but there are now pockets of opportunity but if you want broad exposure smh is not a bad way to go james from la hang on we'll be with you next here on the best talk i'm justin klein we have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom and our work continues after this final break so give me a call at 888-99-CHART
0: You are listening to Invest Talk. We've seen the markets go up, then down, sideways, and around. It's called volatility. And if you're a serious investor, you'll have finance and investment questions for Justin Klein. He's here now taking your calls live. Invest Talk, 888 99 Chart.
2: Go to James in Los Angeles, looking at SCHD, which is the Schwab U.S. Dividend Equity ETF. You owner or looking to buy it?
1: I'm looking to buy it.
2: Okay. And what do you like about this name?
1: Well, it it captures a lot of the dividend, and it's a value, uh, and has a very good track record, and uh, low expense fees, and what else can I tell you? <laughs>
2: Yeah. No, that's fine. Uh, so yeah, expense ratios very low. And so far this year down right around 10%, which is pretty good for this market that, as we know, is down uh, for most of the indices, much more than that. And it's a large cap value ETF. And there's about 100 names, 100 different names in this particular fund. Top Holdings, Merck, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, IBM, Verizon, Those are the top five. And it's more heavily weighted in industrials, only 15% technology, which is, you know, I would probably want that a little bit lower, but, you know, that's better than the overall indices, which is at about 25. Financial services is about 20. Uh, Basic materials, only about two and a half. Energy, only about four and a half. So that's my probably biggest gripe is the lack of of raw materials, commodities, uh, exposure here. So I'd want to augment that a little bit with it. Uh, But overall, certainly better than investing in the indices, uh, but certainly going to be have correlation to the indices as well. Um, So, but overall uh, for a broad base, easy kind of solution for large cap value investing, not a bad way to go. Thanks for the call. Now, let's touch a bit lastly on Russia and this new oil project called Vostok Oil it's a huge oil patch in the inhospitable terrain of northern russia and there's a ton of oil up there but like you know we're, we've we've scoured the world for all of the easy oil for the most part now it's how do you get to the more difficult oil to extract and this is one of those oil fields and if it comes to fruition, it's supposed to open in 2029, or sorry, 2024, that has now been pushed back to expected 2029, and I'll tell you why. But what's most important about this is that it could, if it was fully built out, produce 2% of the world's global oil output by the end of this decade. That's a big if, though, because of the sanctions, it has delayed and restricted drilling equipment, Uh, software to ice class tankers that can operate in those areas. And companies like Halliburton, Schlumberger, Baker Hughes, the large oil service companies, they've pulled out along with BP, Exxon. And that's a big problem for Russia because they're the ones that own the IP for advanced exploration, well-treatment techniques, software, etc. So it's dominated by those firms outside of, the, of, of Russia, mainly here in the US. And so that is what's going to probably hamper Russia longer term. Near term, these sanctions have actually helped. So the big question is, how long do they keep the sanctions? Do you adjust the san- san- sanctions somehow? Because their oil revenue which is 40% of their economy, four zero, it employs 1.5 million people. That part of the economy is doing very well. Their oil revenue is actually up from before the sanctions took place or took hold. Why? Because they've been exporting more to China, more to India, less to Europe, very little here to the US. But that's, that's the main issue. Is these sanction ha- sanctions have really strengthened, at least in the near term, the Russian war machine? Question is, what about long term? And if you if you hear what the rhetoric is out of the White House, it's hey, we have to deal with it. Now, whether that's smart move or not, I think that's up to the American people. But it's very interesting to see that. And how will that impact oil prices longer term? I still think we're gonna hold on to the sanctions and long term the pariah that Russia is now will crimp their long term output of oil and thus their economy. I'm Justin Klein, this completes another Invest Talk program, Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about a free podcast. Downloads and our official Invest Talk downloads now exceed forty three million, thanks to you. So, get your Invest Talk podcast anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review. And when you do that, you get to help spread the word and raise our profile. We appreciate that. Independent thinking showed success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial.
3: Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. call 1-800-557-5461.